If you guys could turn in your Bibles this morning to John chapter 12. You know, as we've been going through the book of John, I hope that you see this this theme that is carrying through that's different than the other three Gospels. If you have studied the four Gospels, John in particular, what he does is he highlights Jesus' struggle in ministry with people believing in him. So I think John's purpose ultimately in this is because he was known as Jesus' beloved disciple. So there's this unique intimacy that John expresses in talking about Jesus' ministry. And we have been talking recently, and as we've gone through the Gospel of John, about what it means to have belief and trust. Amen? That has been a reoccurring theme that we've seen. And when we see that theme continue today, we are going to approach it differently. Because, I don't know about you, but as I have talked about my faith to other people, I have met people that don't believe in Jesus. I have met people who say they believe in Jesus, but their life doesn't particularly follow His teachings. And then there are others that believe, and they continually seem to struggle to follow Him. And then there are those that follow him and it's obvious and their life is on full display of a pursuit out after God. And today what we're going to do is we're going to deal with a very difficult scripture. In fact, most pastors, if, if they were going through a plan and saying, I'm going to preach, I'm going to preach every verse or I'm going to preach just a section at a time, they might look at this section and say, let's skip on to the next section. And this section of Scripture, it explicitly states that God had blinded the eyes of Israel and hardened their hearts. Now, I don't know how you receive that when you hear that God hardened somebody's heart. But here is something, before we try and unravel that mystery of who God is, I do know that, and this is something that we all have to affirm in this room, right? So we're, we're getting ready to dive pretty deep. But something we do know and we could establish is God wants His glory revealed through His Son. And I choose to trust that, that in this manner of God doing this, His glory is fully revealed. Amen? So as long as we can get on that page, and as I said, this message has great depth today, and there might be people in this room who disagree with me, particularly if you have a Calvinist background, but my goal is that no one gets lost in the weeds of this message today, okay? It's good to read scripture that challenges us, isn't it? And it's easy to think, you know, let's not talk about that. Because I don't understand it. Well, let's seek to understand today. Let's read. John chapter 12, starting at verse 37, and we're going through verse 50. It says, but despite, everyone say despite. But despite all the miraculous signs Jesus had done, most of the people still did not believe in him. This is exactly what Isaiah the prophet had predicted. Lord, who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? But the people couldn't believe. For as Isaiah also said, the Lord has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that their eyes cannot see and their hearts cannot understand and they cannot turn to me and have me heal them. 
Isaiah was referring to Jesus when he said this because he saw the future and spoke of the Messiah's glory. Many people did believe in him, however, including some of the Jewish leaders, but they wouldn't admit it for, the, for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. Jesus shouted to the crowds, If you trust me, you are trusting not only me, but also God who sent me. For when you see me, you are seeing the one who sent me. I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. I will not judge those who hear, about, hear me but don't obey, for I have come to save the world and not to judge it. But all who reject me and my message will be judged on the day of judgment by the truth I have spoken." I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. And I know His command leads to eternal life. So I say whatever the Father tells me to say. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank You for Your Word and even the challenging parts, God. The parts where we don't understand or the parts where our flesh doesn't like it. God, I I pray that You will speak truth to our hearts, reveal your word that we might understand it. I thank you in in Jesus' name, amen. As we're looking over this section of scripture, the one obvious thing is that God planned for unbelief of Israel. He planned for it because it was spoken about in Isaiah. And what, what, what I know is that God does everything he does for a purpose, amen? Everything he does is for a purpose. So whether it was the people of Israel during the time of Christ, or if you go all the way back in Scripture to Pharaoh standing in opposition to Moses, ultimately, he was standing in opposition to God. And then there were the northern kings in Canaan. Scripture seems clear to me that it was God who hardened their hearts. That's how the scripture states it. In fact, the Bible states 15 times God hardening men's hearts. Nine of those times were in reference to Pharaoh. In fact, if you were to study Isaiah chapter 63, it states that God hardened the hearts of Israel and Isaiah included. No one would say, and I I want us to establish some things, no one would say that Isaiah was not secure in the Lord, amen? No one would say that. So for those who feel uneasy when we read Scripture that God hardens hearts, there are a few things to consider. So when Scripture says there was a hardening of the heart, I want to establish in our understanding of what that would mean that God does not turn hearts away from him. Okay? God does not turn hearts away from him. There are two uses of the word hardening that might give us a deeper meaning in the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 4 verse 21, this scripture uses a verb that literally means to strengthen. To strengthen. 
And this is establishing that God strengthened Pharaoh's heart. And I want to tell you what this means. It meant that God was giving him the fire to remain resolved in his own desires. He naturally had these desires. Another place that gives a different meaning to that word hardened is Exodus 8.32, also in regards to Pharaoh. It uses a different verb that translates as hardened, but its meaning is to make weighty or heavy. I ultimately believe if you want to understand why God does this, is God does this to display his sovereignty over kings and kingdoms, amen? Okay, just getting a temperature around the room because I know this is deep. Who, who's interested? Okay, okay, so let's keep going. <laughs> Now, I want to state yet again, nowhere in Scripture does it state that God turned hearts away from him what they desired in him, okay? So we need to acknowledge that. Because nowhere, you, you, you can look as hard as you want, nowhere can we find people who wanted to turn their hearts toward God but were unable to, Okay? There were those whom God had pronounced judgment on, but check this out. When God pronounced judgment on a people and they chose to repent, God changed. He changed his mind. Listen to Judges chapter 10, verses 11 through 16. Listen to this. The Lord replied, did I not rescue you from the Egyptians, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Sidians, the, the, the Amalekites, and the Mayanites? Uh, when they oppressed you, you cried out to me for help, and I rescued you. Yet you have abandoned me and served other gods, so I will not rescue you anymore. Sounds imminent, doesn't it? It sounds imminent. Now listen, go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them rescue you in your hour of distress. But the Israelites, everyone say but. But the Israelites pleaded with the Lord and said, We have sinned. Punish us as you see fit. Only rescue us today from our enemies. Then the Israelites put aside their foreign gods and served the Lord, and he was grieved by their misery. He was grieved by their misery. Now listen to Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. It says, when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways. Everyone say, put a stop. How they had put a stop to their evil ways. He changed his mind. Everyone say, changed. He changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. So now we know from Scripture, God can withdraw his spirit. And God will give us over to the desires of our own evil hearts. That is something that God does. God does not restrain the hearts of people who seek to receive salvation. He doesn't do that. Listen to Romans chapter 10 verse 12. Paul states, Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on Him. All who call on him. In fact, in the book of Romans, we see God's mercy as an opportunity for all. Paul, in, in fact, in uh, 
verse, or chapter 11, I should say, teaches us that God will use the Gentile Christians as a means of bringing those who are blinded back to Christ. Listen to this. Romans 11, 11 through 14. I know I'm giving you a lot of scripture, but we're going to put a nice bow on it. It'll be like you ladies made yesterday for your crafts. Um, did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? Of course not. They were disobedient, so God made salvation available to the Gentiles. But he wanted his own people to become jealous and claim it for themselves. Now, if the Gentiles were enriched because of the people of Israel, because the people of Israel turned down God's offer of salvation, think how much greater a blessing the world will share when they finally accept it. I am saying all this especially for you Gentiles. God has appointed me as the apostle to the Gentiles. I stress this, for I want somehow to make the people of Israel jealous of what you Gentiles have so I might save some of them. Paul here is seeking the salvation of the blinded, hardened Jews. No matter if people have hardened hearts, God's desire is that they come back to him. Everyone say amen. amen. Listen to Romans eleven twenty three. 23. It says, and if the people of Israel turn from their unbelief, they will be grafted in again. For God has the power to graft them back into the tree. Let's establish this church. Hardened hearts are our responsibility, not God's. Hardened hearts are our responsibility. So you and I must turn to him with all of your heart. All of your heart. In fact, if, if you and I were to remain open to God's word and truth, we see that no matter what position our heart is in, you can say, Pastor, I've seen and done some bad stuff. You do not compare to me. I would tell you that as long as we remain open, whether it's you or me and what we've done, and God calls us into repentance, then you have earned salvation because of his son, Jesus Christ. So if you go to God with a repentant heart, God will not despise you. He will not shut you out. And that is the emphasis of Jesus in this passage, our main passage today. He says, if we could summarize it, trust in me. I'm not here to judge you now, but one day, one day, those who reject me will be judged. Jesus is calling us to trust him in his words. Now, I don't know about you, but there are many times in my life where I've given into sin and natural desires. And you and I, we can come to church and we can live this life where we can turn off the truth when we want to. We can choose to tune out of it. We choose to tune out of God's revelation through His Son, Jesus Christ. And if it is not an intentional choice 
to not believe on your part. That's a double negative. I'll get around it. There are some who also believe, but they're not expressing true belief. They come into church. Let me explain. They come into church. Oh, I believe in Jesus. Then they leave this place, and they're like, well, I also believe in that too. I also like to do the things of the world. So you know what? I, I can come to church and say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but then I leave the church, and, and there is nothing in your life that shows it or displays it. And if you do that, I've got a question for you. Is it genuine belief? Think about that. Is it genuine belief? Because there's a great example here in our main text today that when belief is kept silent. And is it belief without true confession? I want you to ask yourself that. Is it belief without true confession? Let's look at John 12, 42 through 43. It says, many people did believe in him. However, including some of the Jewish leaders... But they wouldn't admit it for fear the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. Now we don't know by reading this if their faith was genuine or not. And I would argue, I I would argue for you, it wasn't. They did it genuinely because Jesus points us to that a, a heart that is tainted when we believe in Christ. Let me rephrase that. Our heart is tainted when we seek earthly gain even in our belief in Christ. Okay? Listen to Mark 8, 38. Sorry, I want to be clear on everything I say today. Mark 8, 38 says, If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So Jesus, what he is doing is he points us to a genuine faith as one that openly confesses belief in him. Okay? I want us all to keep following me. I haven't lost you, right? Okay, I'm I'm getting worried. (laughs) Paul gives us an indication that confession, hear me out, confession is essential for belief. Listen to Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. (coughs) So if we believe that Jesus Christ is the true Savior of the world, if we believe that he is the God that rescues us from our sin and he forgives us so we might reign with him in eternity, then we should want the world to know. That is essential as a part of our faith. And if we aren't telling others, then what you and I need to do is we should truly examine what it is that causes us to remain silent. Jesus also illustrates how we should approach the good news with others. Listen to Matthew 5, 14 through 16. He says, you are the light of the world. 
like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. If God is the source of all good, a good deed is the work that points to him. So without question, it is God in you that is good, and that needs to be exposed to the world. And so a rhetorical question for you right now. Is it belief if we care more about the world's view of us rather than God's? No, no, listen again to John 12, 42b through 43. It says that, that the Jewish leaders, they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. The only reason for you and I to keep silent is out of our own fear of what other people might think or how they might react. That is the reason that Believers in Christ remain silent. And many people are focused on self-gratification. Praise from other people or worldly gain. And what we are unknowingly doing is forsaking the God that gives us eternal reward for our obedience. You know, I've illustrated this before, but Jesus makes it very clear what happens if we focus more on personal gain or attention than honoring God. It's found in Matthew chapter 6, and Jesus does this based out of three principles. I'm going to read you one of these principles. He says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose uh, the reward from your Father in heaven when you give to someone in need. Don't do it as the hypocrites do. Blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? They will receive all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private and your Father who sees everything will reward you. Then Jesus goes on to say the same thing about our approach in prayer. And again, he says the same approach in fasting. So if you seek some sort of self-gratification for this faith that you have, or you're seeking some sort of reward and praise here on earth, you won't get it in heaven. That's what that scripture is saying. You're not going to get it in heaven. This is why that I continually teach on scripture. Like I, I've, I've said it a lot. Hopefully you guys have memorized it by now. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 is to focus, set our sights on the what of heaven? You guys remember this? Realities. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. Because guess what? The realities of earth are smacking you right in the face, left and right. And so church, we must fight to keep our focus on the true things that matter for us. And confession is part of that. 
when you begin to confess out of your mouth, sometimes it takes a matter of faith to simply open your mouth to state what you believe. But I promise when you do that, that the God of the universe is going to dig his roots deep down in your life, and it is going to be strong and firm. Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? This is essential. Church, we cannot keep quiet about the God of the universe who sent his son to live and die for us. We can't do that. You know, some of this younger generation is like, man, that's that's old school. Why don't you talk about, I don't know, self-care? Church, I am telling you, we cannot neglect the truth of God's word. And there are churches out there doing that today. We cannot allow that to happen. And again, I'm going to say it. We must fight to keep our focus on the true things that matter. Got to keep that focus, church. Lastly, as we look in this main text today, we see that both belief and unbelief point to the Messiah's glory. They both do. If, think about it this way. If hearts were not hardened toward Christ, would he have been sentenced to death? Think about it. Because let me tell you, today, especially in our political climate in the world, you're like, Pastor, don't go there. But listen to this. Even in our political climate, as worked up as people get, tell me who's doing something about it. On both sides. No, there's a lot of talk, but people aren't really doing anything about it, right? They're so angry, but they're not angry enough to do something. The people of Israel who rejected Christ may have had their heart hardened, but their heart was already positioned against him. Their heart was already positioned against Christ. God did not change their mind. They weren't standing there going, you know what, I believe in this guy. And the next thing, who is that guy? How dare he? They, they didn't do that. They, they followed on the path that they were already on. God just strengthened their resolve. So as that unbelief was already stirred up with these people, they unknowingly brought forth God's ultimate purpose, redemption for mankind. I want you to listen to Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 through 5. It says, he was despised and rejected. This is talking about Christ. A man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief, We turn our backs on him and we looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God. A punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. Crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Put this in terms for today. Those who choose not to believe 
are rooted in the glorification of man and not the glory of God. Okay? Those that rejected Christ at that time and, and today, they only seek to prop themselves up. And so God being all-knowing, He has the foresight in what turns man's hearts towards Him. Those who reject Him will be held accountable. Those who cling to Him, we will be rewarded. Because as Jesus preaches the truth, it is going to stir up hearts both for belief and unbelief. Because church, the truth hurts. The truth hurts and then we have a choice. Am I going to accept it? Am I going to embrace what he's saying here? Or am I going to reject it? Is my flesh just going to overpower anything the Spirit of God is trying to do in my life? That's all Jesus did. He presented the truth. He spoke on behalf of God the Father. It says that here at the end of our, our chapter, and it left people to determine in their own heart if they would accept it or reject it. And here's what I believe, church. God is speaking to you today through His Word, and He's encouraging you. Are you going to trust in my Son, Jesus Christ? There on that cross, He took your sins. He took my sins. Because he was perfect. And he was the only one that could. And he, so in, in, in essence, he paid our penalty of death by taking on our sins that you and I committed. He committed none. And so those that find the truth, they found it because they recognized, I need forgiveness. I need forgiveness. And they understand they need to be set free of bondage and the only one who's going to do that is Jesus. Then there are others that consider they'd rather follow the path of the world. And those things, whether we want to escape this or not, we have to admit as the truth is staring us in the face, God considers those things evil. He considers all of it evil. And in fact, by doing that, especially upon hearing the truth, it becomes an open rejection of Christ. And those are choices that everyone in this room has to make. Do I choose to follow him and recognize that he took on the sins of mankind, including my own, and I can be set free of sin, or do I reject it because I am ingrained in that, that world system? And here's the thing that I want you to understand. I would rather you make a distinction one way or the other than keep playing around with God like the Jewish leaders did where they wouldn't admit in front of the other leaders for fear of being kicked out of the synagogue. God does not want half-hearted people. He doesn't want half-hearted people. He wants those who openly confess, those who are willing to risk everything on this earth to speak to the glory of His Son because God gave everything He had for you. So He, 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 he desires everything you have to offer. 
And guess what? I don't have to offer myself as a sacrifice. Jesus already did that for me. So instead, I am offering my life as this living sacrifice, this servant to God, doing what he asks of me because I am so imperfect, but he sent me a Savior that is. For you and I, you have everything to gain in Christ. Without him, you have everything to lose. If you are here today, Brian, as you come, if you are here today, I believe you're here with purpose. And Dennis, why don't you come too? And God is drawing you in. He's drawing you in. And church, I am telling you, we must make a choice whether or not we are going to choose to be all in, if we're going to choose to not be ashamed, if we're going to choose to openly confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We need to choose to bring Him glory. Let me tell you what's at the heart of all this. What's at the heart of all this is You and I know whether or not God has our full commitment. Whether we have given everything we possibly could over to God. You and I know whether or not we've been ashamed of the name of Christ. Open yourself up to the Holy Spirit. He'll reveal it. You know what God's doing in here. And I'm telling you, some of you are waiting for God to make you. And earlier I said you could, you could tune in to the truth or, or you could tune it out. I said you could tune in to being open to God reveal things in your life or you could tune it out. Here's a chance for God to come in and tune you to the right pitch. He wants to tune you to the right pitch. And it starts, many of you are waiting saying, God, you know, I'll I'll get my act together when you do that. It's not the way it works. You have to choose. You have to choose. So what I encourage you to do, I encourage you to bow your heads right now. And you know where your heart's been with God. Obviously, God knows, but you know, and I, I, I'm not going to presume to know. This is between you and the Lord. And whether or not you need to make a choice. And I'm going to tell you, I serve a God that when there is a repentant heart, a heart that wants to turn toward Him, seek Him, and desire true forgiveness, that He is not going to say, you know what, I've had my time with you, you're done. That is not my God. My God is a God that He recognizes and He walks with you in your grief. He sees your misery and He comes alongside you and He welcomes you back in and He grafts you back into that tree as we read about in Romans. And I know that my God loves a repentant heart. 
Some people might be saying, what, what is that word you keep using, repentance? And I'm going to tell you exactly what it is. It's seeing that I've been not honoring God with my life, having deep regret, and turning from that, and changing the course of my life. If you say, Pastor, that is me, I need that today. Would you stand with me, please? tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to encourage you, if you're standing next to someone, join with them in prayer. Okay? Just reach out and grab their hand. And what I want us to do, church, those who are sitting there, we are going to pray for them because God looks upon what they're doing he is overcome. He is overcome. Seeing that they're making choices, drawing unto him. And so those of you that are standing, you have already stood. Those who are saying, Pastor, my heart is aligned with them in standing. I want you to stand up and I want you to just extend your arms out to And what we're going to do is we're going to choose to honor God with repentant hearts today. Whether you are standing right up front or if you are standing now, we're going to say, God, we choose to walk in a path of repentance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for those who are standing here today that say, God, I desperately need your forgiveness in my life. God, I am choosing to walk with you. And God, I am acknowledging today that I need to make steps, Lord, to draw closer to you, that you can do a mighty work in me. And God, I pray that you will spark a fire that comes from your Holy Spirit that births a confession of this faith in them, that God, their faith might be deeply rooted in you. And no one can come and uproot that, Father. Lord, we stand in knowing that God, by all rights, we wouldn't be here without your Son, Jesus Christ. And God, we praise you and thank you. And Lord, we ask for the blood of your Son that was shed on that cross to cover our sin, that we might be free men and women through Christ Jesus. God, I thank you for these men and women that are standing. And Lord, I pray that they will not walk in shame anymore, but they will walk in freedom that knowing that they are children of the living God. That God, you will give them a peace upon their life, knowing where their strength lies. And God, you will help them as Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 says, set our sights on the realities of heaven, Father. Lord, may these people standing be linked together that no matter what comes against us, God, we will recognize as a work of the enemy and we will be resolved to carry each other to that finish line, Lord.
I thank you for your body, Lord, how it strengthens and encourages. And God brings peace and freedom. Lord, show us how we can be encouragers and walk with each other so that we might not see our brothers or sisters stumble and fall anymore. I thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Every, everyone give God a hand clap of praise this morning.